0: Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zou and I'm the production manager here at I Just wanted to say a quick thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. This week's message is brought to us by our interim senior pastor, Abe Lee. He is preaching from the book of Habakkuk. So, uh, Suzette and I, we got married. Suzette's my wife. Uh, back in 2001. And I have a feeling there are just a few of you probably that are thinking something like, um, wow, I was only a couple years old when they got married, or I wasn't born yet. Um, Suzette and I, back in Wicker Park, we used to joke that many of the folks that we called our family could literally be about the age of what kids that we would have, or at least we were closer in age to parents than we were to our beloved family, but... That being aside, we just love this particular family. And I just wanted to mention that when we start, first got married, we made a very conscious decision to enjoy our life as husband and wife together first for a few years before trying to have kids. You know, a number of reasons for that, not necessary to get into the details, but we waited. We waited for, I can't remember how many years, but a number of years before we decided that we're going to try to have kids in earnest. And when we did start, after a lot of, of years, a lot of years of trying, uh, lots of tests, a lot of talking, it never happened. The diagnosis that we eventually received, I think it was something like unexplainable infertility, which is the most useless diagnosis I've ever heard. Um, but ultimately, we weren't going to have kids. And before anyone thinks, oh, they're, they're not that old, yeah, we are, we're, we're not going to have kids, We've is pretty much certain now. And we had all these amazing plans. Um, I assumed and I prayed that we'd have a girl because I'm a boy. Not to be sexist, but boys, we tend to forget our parents. Um, And I say this based on experience. No offense to you guys. You are good with your moms. Good for you. Um, So I, at least, I prayed that God would bless us with a girl because, you know, I wanted my wife to be well-loved. We had amazing plans for kids. When Suzette and I got married, she got married in her mom's wedding dress. It's a special thing. So after the wedding, before we moved to San Francisco, one of the first things we did was we hermetically sealed Suzette's dress so that if she wanted to, our future daughter could use it too. It's still, dress is still in our closet. I wanted to be that father of the bride, the one that said something wise or funny or goofy right before um, handing, taking... His daughter's hand, my daughter's hand, and giving it to the groom, something like, "My mom, your mom, me and God. We've worked hard to raise this little girl, and if you screw it up, vengeance is mine," says the Lord, or something like that, just to you know emphasize it. And Suzette and I we even bought a big house in San Francisco so that we could continue to work from home and have space for a couple of kids. We had some amazing plans, but it didn't happen. In verse 2, it says, oh, Lord, how, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Sounds like the prayer I was having. He cries out, or cry to you violence, which is Hamas in uh, Hebrew. Violence, and you will not save. It was Habakkuk's plea. And nothing happened. Actually, no, for Israel, it got worse when he prayed that prayer. See, to give you some context... Israel was united as a single kingdom under the reigns of Saul and David and Solomon. Then a revolt happened, and the nation of Hebrews, they split across into two nations, Israel with Samaria as its capital in the north, and Judah with Jerusalem as its capital in the south. And Habakkuk is now speaking to Judah, the southern kingdom. This is after King Josiah's reign. And King Josiah, he was a good and godly king. He was implementing political—he implemented political and religious reform— He led the nation of Judah to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind. He he led the people to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with God. But Josiah, that king, that godly king, got killed. And Jehoiakim, who was an Egyptian vassal, he stepped in. And at that point, all hell broke loose. The nation of Judah lost the plot, and they became an evil nation turning away from God. So, as the southern kingdom of Judah continued to forget who they were called to be, called to be people created in the image of God to live for God's glory, as they continued to be cruel and evil and unrighteous, Habakkuk cries out to God. And unlike other books, this is not just a book about prophecy, this is about a, what's going to happen. It's, a, it's, it's actually a book that includes a conversation between God and his beloved. And Habakkuk goes to God and he seeks clarity. Everything seemed to be going against the people of Israel, the ones he loves. They seem to be turning towards something else. Habakkuk is approaching God with his doubts and his complaints. Habakkuk is responding to God and saying, God, we're your chosen ones. God, we're the ones who you promised Abraham would be the source of blessing for the entire world. God, we're the ones you promised would be cared for, protected, stand out as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation. But instead, all Habakkuk saw around him was destruction and, and violence. And all he saw was a nation of people who were subjugating the poor and the voiceless, who were taking advantage uh, of the minorities and the refugees who were forgetting that all are made in the image of God and they are called to love. And he asked the question of God, Why? In 2019, we saw the coronavirus start to take hold in Asia. It continued on to Europe and it landed on our shores in 2020. And we are still in it. We have yet to come out of it. And as a result, our little church, along with the entire world, we have been suffering. We've become isolated. We're all alone. We're we're struggling to see God in the midst of mass mandates and shelter-in-place orders, and and we cry, aren't we your chosen ones? Aren't, Aren't we supposed to be a blessing to the nations? Aren't we your beloved? How long are we supposed to wait? How long? And in the midst of Habakkuk's complaint, in the midst of the confusion and the doubt, God answers him. But God answers Habakkuk in a way that he didn't see coming and he didn't want to hear. In verse 6 and 7, this is what God says to Habakkuk. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And Chaldeans are the the Babylonians of the time. That bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. And, And he hears this. And Habakkuk's response is, oh, wait, no, wait, no, no, no. I, I'm asking that, that your beloved be transformed into the people they're called to be. And, and what you're telling me, God, is that instead of that, you're going to send the most hated nation to come and destroy us, to come and persecute us. That, that makes no sense, God. And here's the point that I'm wanting to get to today. That I believe God is trying to provide for us. At least that I see in the book of Habakkuk. It said doubts and complaints. These were inevitable in the world yesterday. And they are inevitable in our world today. That, that, that anger and disdain and questions in the midst of the drama and the trauma of your life. These are real. And you are not a weak or a bad Christian because you have them. Here's the thing. Many of you, not everybody, but many of you are probably who are listening or watching or visiting. You're struggling. Whether it's with feelings of isolation, lack of support, maybe discontentment with the small C church, Church of the Beloved, or the big church. Maybe you've lost your job. You can't find a decent roommate. Your family is just causing you strife. You're seeking a friend or a significant other and just all alone. There are some, many maybe, struggling and asking yourself, why, God? Where are you, God? I thought you loved me, God. I thought you had chesed for me, God. And what I'm saying is this. It's okay. It's okay to complain and question. Because doubt comes to the most steadfast, to the holiest of women and men. Doubt comes because in the face of very real tragedy, in the face of very real trauma of sadness, it's understandable that sometimes we can't see past it. Abraham doubted that God would give him a child with Sarah. So what did he do? He went to have one with Hagar. Moses doubted that he would be able to actually get Israel away from Pharaoh. So what did he do? He said, God, please just send somebody else jesus had doubts that he would actually be able to go through with what he knew he had to eventually face for our sake on the cross so he cried out to god if possible can you take this away i had doubts about god where god was in the midst of our struggle to have kids because doubt is a very real and a very expected response to very real very personal experiences Doubt is what happens when our mind and our hearts are not in sync. And in this book, in Habakkuk, if you're struggling with doubts, doubts about whether or not God is real, doubts about whether or not God cares, doubts about whether or not this community, this church of the beloved, is where you're supposed to be or where you can fully experience and see God. If you have doubts in this book, I think we can actually learn a few lessons based on how Habakkuk responded to his doubts. And that's what I want to do. I want to look at some of those lessons. And the first one is in verse 2. When Habakkuk cries out, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. In verse 13, he actually cries out. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. He says, why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? Speaking of the Babylonians. <clears throat> a friend of mine posed a question to me a while back. She asked, why do you think when people pray, uh, they try to use like holier words uh, than, they, than they really are? They, suddenly a different language is coming out of their mouth and, and, and not really saying how they feel. their real feelings. It's not like God doesn't know everything, right? And I saw a post uh, uh, in social, on social media from, share with me with Nikhil. And Nikhil, if you're watching, happy birthday, dude. Uh, it's from someone called the Naked Pastor, and it's a cartoon. And the cartoon is uh, titled, The Most Sincere Prayer it's simply a person on their knees uh, with folded hands, looking up, saying, dear God, like WTF. And that's what I'm asking you to do. (laughs) Don't hide your doubt. Don't hide your anger. Be honest, because you're not going to surprise God. God's not surprised by anything we might think, say, do, or feel. There is no need to hide any of that to our God. Come to God with your complaint. Come to God with your heart because when you stop hiding you start healing because by not hiding what you're ultimately saying is i can't do this anymore by not hiding you end up asking god to start helping um when i was like 22 or 23 i tried to get certified as a skydiver and I had gone on a bunch of tandem jumps at that point. I remember climbing onto the plane to take my first solo jump with no one tied to my back. It was horrible. Um, long story short, I am not a certified skydiver. Uh, I ended up seriously injuring my left knee. And I'm not going to go into the details. I, I, here's the thing. I just graduated. And I just got a new job, and I had no health insurance yet. So I drove myself to Walgreens, I bought a bandage, and I bought some crutches, and I just hobbled around until my insurance actually kicked in. Because you know, you don't have any money, so I I just survived. It wasn't until I finally went to a doctor after my insurance kicked in and told him everything that I was able to get the help I needed. Ultimately, I had to get surgery uh, to heal. By not hiding, I finally started healing. By not hiding, you allow God to start helping. The second lesson, let's just keep on going. Habakkuk provides for us in dealing with our doubt is, to, is this, to gain perspective. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower. And look out to see what, I, what he'll say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, the purpose of a watchtower or a watchpost. Is to do exactly what its name implies, which is watch from a tower, right? Uh, is to be able to see from high above any threats or enemies that might be approaching, because by going high, the watchman or watch person is able to focus not on themselves but gather, uh, rather gain a perspective that goes beyond themselves to see the entirety of the landscape to understand the whole situation. Now, uh, anyone who knows Chicago. Uh, knows that you can either go to Sears Tower, which is called Sears Tower, not the other one, uh, or, I actually forgot the name of the other, the real name, uh, or go to the John Hancock building uh, to get an amazing view of the city. Or you can go to the 95th Lounge uh, in the John Hancock during the golden hour and uh, sunset, and you'll also be able to enjoy an overpriced cocktail uh, as you sit crowded with hundreds of tourists that are trying to all get the same perfect picture of the Chicago skyline. But if you want a truly amazing view of the entire city without the elbow-to-elbow jostling of having so many people crowded around into one small space, then you come to Wicker Park. You Come to Wicker Park, you go to the top floor of the Roby Hotel Lounge. It's only a few stories high, like eight stories I think, but it's just high enough that from there you can see the entire city because gaining perspective doesn't require you to travel very far and doesn't require you to travel very high. Gaining perspective just means going up just enough to see the bigger picture. Gaining a spiritual perspective, it doesn't require you to climb a mountaintop, enter a monkish retreat or something like that. It just requires you to take a moment and not focus on you, but rather focus on God. To deal with doubt, First, don't hide it from God. Second, gain some perspective with God. The last two things I want to point out from today's passage uh, when it comes to dealing with doubt are related to each other. And so to deal with doubt like Habakkuk does, we need to practice patience and perseverance. And let me start with patience. In verse 3 of chapter 2, this is why it says, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. <clears throat> um, last week I mentioned about Nahum uh, and God being slow to anger and how his slowness is ultimately first for our benefit and second is not really slow because God, to God a thousand years is like a day and vice versa. And God's timing is perfect all the time. He's never early. He's never late. So in times of doubt, When we are, or I am unsure, sometimes, sometimes we're called to wait. Practically speaking, this is probably one of the hardest things for most of us, especially me, to do. Because from an impatient person's perspective, which I am, being patient basically means doing nothing. It means waiting. It means letting go of control. It means not being at the center of attention. It means that someone else becomes more significant, and in this case, it's God. Suzette and I, we joke that we have a tendency to be a little codependent on each other. We like to do things together. Um, The only thing is this. When we we do things together, sometimes we have a tendency to make each other late. Uh, One of us, I'm not going to say who, one of us is typically waiting for the other Uh, When we do things together, when when we're on our own, it's not so bad. Usually we're often early when we're on our own. But when we're together, one of us is typically waiting. And it would be very easy for the person who's waiting to be impatient, uh, to hum and haw and tap their foot. But it's a lot more peaceful. It's a lot more pleasant when one of us gets perspective and is patient by putting the other First. Habakkuk dealt with his doubts about God's promise to be there by being honest with God and not hiding it, by, by, by gaining some perspective from God's point of view and by being patient. Understanding it's not about him or his timing. It's about God and God's perfect timing. The last example I want to point to here is uh, in that Habakkuk shows is perseverance. He persevered in his faith in spite of his doubts. See, in chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk is waiting for God, standing his post in the watchtower, waiting to hear God's instruction and, and response to his second complaint, right? and Even though he does come to God initially and say, hey, God, why aren't you helping us? And then comes a God after God responds saying, oh, God, please don't help us like that. And, and through it all, though, Habakkuk perseveres in his faith. In chapter 2, verse 4. Habakkuk writes, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous, but the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall persevere in the belief that God is good and that God's plans are perfect and that God loves you and me. In spite of the doubt and the darkness, the anger and the questions and the weariness, the righteous persevere in faith in a faith that the author of hebrews in chapter 11 verse 1 he defines this way faith is the assurance of things hoped for for the conviction of things not seen and the faith that habakkuk clung to the faith that we are being called to as the righteous to cling to the apostle paul describes it in romans chapter 1 verse 16 and 17 and in 16 and 17 he says this for for i am not ashamed of the gospel It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul goes further to explain it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 to 14. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be the one who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, quote, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ, Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit, your faith. See, the faith that we are called to, to persevere in, is the truth that we learn from Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, for by grace I have been saved, you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one should boast. Habakkuk, today's minor prophet, shows us that God wants us to deal with our doubts in Him by first and foremost, not hiding. Don't hide your doubts in Him. Gain some perspective, strive to be patient, persevere in faithfulness. All of these things are strategies and are gifts that God provides to those to help us through our doubts. But first, don't hide it, because what we want to get to is where Habakkuk got to, based on today's reading, chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. In the face of doubt and frustration and anger, Habakkuk writes through. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruits be on vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Yet, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Suzette and I, we really wanted to have kids. We considered, by the way, in vitro fertilization as well. It wasn't going to work out for us. We considered adopting, and I'll tell you, I'm as a former social worker and a therapist, uh, I, I I I had to in in my previous life deal with a lot of very difficult adoption scenarios, and so it took me a long time to accept that is even a possible or viable option. But ultimately, that didn't work out for us either. We really wanted to have kids. Um, we thought that we'd make good parents, honestly, and I thought that this is what God would want of us as well. So, the doubts, the anger, the confusion, honestly started to settle in with me. And it manifested in me in some ugly ways, especially towards my friends who had kids. Because they kept inviting us to their kids' birthday parties. There's um, nothing against, especially Yuji, I know you have, it's probably have one coming soon, nothing against celebrating 100 days or 365 days on earth of your children. That's great. But at that moment, I wasn't, I didn't have perspective I didn't have patience, I didn't have perseverance in my faith, so I was not, I was not in a good place to celebrate with my friends. I am now, so go ahead, invite me. But I eventually got there, because eventually I admitted to God, and I admitted to my wife my pain. I stopped trying to hide the fact that I didn't, I didn't get it. Why all the plans that I had in my head and that we had put together for our future kids, why I didn't get why it wasn't going to happen. I stopped hiding the fact that not only did I doubt in God's goodness and in His mercy and His faithfulness, but I admit it, I was pissed. I was angry. And with that confession to my wife and with that confession to my God, I started to heal. So God provided me perspective as well. It's it's only because of our situation that God allowed Suzette and I, I think, to walk alongside and bless so many young couples and families. I'll tell you, it's one of our greatest joys to be able to do premarital counseling and to be able to officiate so many weddings uh, with newlyweds. God provided me patience. The anger and the hurt, bringing it to God, allowed my Savior, my Christ, to replace that with His love, with the love for His beloved. And God provided me the ability to persevere in my faith so that I might be able to one day say, now say, God is truly my strength. He is the one that guides my path. The question I have for you is, might there be an area of your life right now that you should consider doing the same? If so, step one is simply this, don't hide so that God can help. Don't hide so that God can start to heal. The perspective and the patience and the perseverance, I absolutely promise you, it'll come but it will come from God when you finally go to God. i ask the band to come up and I'm going to close this with prayer. If you bow your heads with me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit our website at cotb.life. God bless and have a great week.